Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Top of the charts Tuesday right here on Ball Don't Lie. My man Patrick plays jams. I reached the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. I like this. It's a jam. It's a little bit. You're right. It's a change of pace because we, we were kind of hitting. There's some heavy hitters early on. Heavy Elvis, Jackson 5. Gladys Knight. Gladys Knight. And, and the, the Pips. And the Pips, pimps. not the pimps. As I was a kid, I thought it was the last night in the pimps. And it fit to me. And I was like, and one day my mom was like, it's not the pimps, sweetie. They're the pips. And I was like, oh, I thought they were her pimps. Anyway, as a kid, I was in a very warped, distorted world, as you know. We just talked about H-Town anyway. Uh, but top of the charts Tuesday. My man Patrick doing a great job, as always. Uh, so you can uh, hit us up via the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. You also can hit us up via Twitter. I'm at Rod Babers in the Twitterverse. My man Harge is at Hardball Harge in the Twitterverse and Patrick Davis, the real MVP at Patrick Davis, also the owner of Lou. Um, so shout out to Lou, who's here. Yep, yep. Uh, Lou always brings good mojo to the show, our unofficial mascot uh, here on the show. All right, uh, we got NFL trade deadline to discuss. We'll do that here, give you all the updates, and uh, talk about what the Cowboys did or did not do before the trade deadline. Also, Rob's round the day, we're talking Texas. We'll get into the Texas players-only meeting. Uh, we'll also, yeah, yes, another one, not the, the other one. Another Another one, one not the other one. Yep. So another players-only meeting, we'll get to that. And also, I'll give you the biggest issue that had to be addressed for the Texas defense during the bye week. It is bigger than any other concern that may have plagued this team uh, the last two weeks. This is it. If they don't fix this one issue in the bye week, they're going to lose on Saturday. They're going to lose. I'm telling you right now. Ooh. Ain't no, I mean, seriously, I'm not, I'm not joking. That's not hyperbole. If they no, don't fix this issue I'm bringing up Rod's round today, they're going to lose. I know we're trying to make sure that, you know, we don't want to be too doom and gloom. But I'm telling you right now as a football theorist, they don't fix this, that you're done, son. Mm. You're done. Mm. Uh, all right. I did promise you a Julia Roberts story, so I'll get to that coming up a little bit later on, too. We're going to squeeze that in whenever the hell we get a chance. But let's talk about the NFL trade deadline, gentlemen. And how about this? History made today. You know, I call it the NBAification of the NFL. And uh, more trades are part of that. Also, more guaranteed contracts are part of that. Uh, player empowerment, a big part of that. as part of the NBAification of the NFL. Also, talking about players off the field, oh. lives, Tom Brady's divorce, big part of the NBAification of the NFL. How about this, though, guys? 12 players traded on deadline day, the most in the last 30 years. I'm going to assume it's the most Boom. ever then. 
So, I mean, did they ever have more trades? Well, it has to be. It has to be the most ever if it's been most since then. In the last 30. This is from NFL research. So, take this the NFL saying they set a record for the last 30 years, probably as far back as they could go back and research viably. Uh, But you had 12 players traded on deadline day, which is today, uh, most in the last 30 years. And I went and looked at it. I think I, I counted 21 total in the last 13 days or two weeks. Also, would be an NFL record. A lot of activity, not as much as the NBA, of course, uh, but a lot of activity for the NFL. I think, Harge, a lot of teams, because think about this this is the most competitive NFL we've ever seen through. Mm-hmm. Halfway through, through eight weeks. We've never seen the NFL this competitive. The uh, margin of victory, all right, is as close as it's ever been yep. in the Super Bowl era. We also have more games that have come down to uh, one score games in the fourth quarter overtime than any point in NFL history through the first eight games. So you're watching the most competitive product the NFL has ever put out. Now, they're not scoring as many points. Scoring is down, so points are down, but parity is way up. So I think, Harge, since all these teams are right now right here in the kind of the middle class of the NFL, yep. they all believe they got a shot. And we know now you have more playoff teams, right? right? More playoff slots. So more playoff slots, more teams they have a shot because of the parity. I think that's part of the reason you're getting more NFL trade movement and negotiations happening because teams think they got a shot and they want that one player to put them over the top. They absolutely have a shot. And we'll just go down the list right now. You look at the AFC East. You got Buffalo at six and one. You got the Jets and Miami at five and three, and you got the New England Patriots at four and four. Everybody's still close together. Still close. You still have that opportunity. Yeah. You look at the uh, AFC North. You got the Baltimore Ravens at five and three. Cincinnati Bengals at four and four. The Cleveland uh, Browns <clears throat> three and five. So you still yeah. looking at that area. You, you just still beat have the Bengals, and you just got time. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah. time in yeah. there. Then you look at the South. Tennessee is at five and two, wow. but then Indianapolis is three, four, and one. So they're still in the mix right as there. well. They're yeah. right there. And then you got Kansas City, the Chargers. They are Kansas City five and two. The Chargers are four and three. Wow. Chargers didn't make a move. They didn't go after anybody, but Kansas City did, yes, and they, they did. helped on the offensive side of right. the ball. Then you go to the NFC and you look at what Philadelphia. And I love the fact that Clarence Hill brought this up. And that is something that us as Cowboy fans, we needed to understand and hear it. Yes, we like our guys, but we needed more guys. Philadelphia 7-0, and zero, and they went out and got a, a, a defensive end yeah, to did. come and put pressure no, no, on the A premier pass rusher at a premium position. Exactly. Who is now incentivized because he's on a contract year because they made the rest of his contract null and void. And on top of that, he's with a Super Bowl contender. 7-0. and oh. so 7-0. And, oh, and yeah, they he, made he, a yeah. move. No, I'm with you, man. I like you, that move. And then you look at what Minnesota did. Minnesota went out. They said, Kirk Cousins, you're, you, you're, you're not very good with the tight ends. So you know what we're going to go get you? We're going to go get you a Pro Bowl tight end. Right. So now you have some depth. They're 6-1. and one. Green Bay obviously didn't do anything. Chicago, they're like, oh, wait, so we're 3-5 and five and Green Bay's 3-5? and five? Let's go make some moves. I need to go get a wide receiver because my quarterback looks like he can move right there, so give him an opportunity. We got the best running game in the NFL, mm-hmm. so now we may position ourselves to get in that mix for the wild card. As yep. you said, there's more teams that can right get into that. it now. Then you look at uh, the AFC South. You got Atlanta. 
didn't really make a move. They did trade. Uh, no, they're leading the division and right they're now. They're leading the division <laughs> what the with Marcus Mariota as their quarterback. Right, that's yes. crazy, man. Tampa Bay three and five. They're still trying to figure out if they can make a move. They're they're right there. They right win a there. couple games. Anybody they're gonna be right win. in the mix. Anybody win that division? That's right. Anybody. And then you go to the a, I mean the NFC West. Seattle's right there. Who thought it with Geno wow. Smith? With Geno Smith, made, and they're top five scoring offense right now. Yes, Seattle's. Yes, think about that. And then you got your your boy Shano went out, got Christian McCaffrey, That's made move. some moves, and now they're sitting there looking at it and saying, "Oh, the Rams are behind us." Oh, by the way, we've dominated the Rams. The Rams aren't even in our conversation. Mm-hmm. Every time we play them, we blow them out. So let's start looking at what we need to do to get with Seattle. And that's exactly what it is. So to your point, this is probably the most wide open and the most parody we have seen. Or excuse me, as Antonio Brown says, parody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> parody. Yeah, he's like, man, that's a parody. What are you yeah. talking about? But when you look at the NFL and the <laughs> NFC and all, all the way around, you sit there and say, we all are in a place where we can make a move to try to get to the championship. I mean, so this is wide open. You're so right. To your point, look at the NFC East, right? You're talking about uh, the NFC East right now has the most combined wins, mm-hmm. all right? Yep. Uh, for a single division through eight weeks since 2002. So they have the most combined wins uh, for a division in the NFL in the last 20 years. Yeah. You go look at the, uh, the winning percentage of that division right now, combined winning percentage, highest combined winning percentage for a division through eight weeks. Since the AFL-NFL merger. Yeah, 1970. Come on, man. Since 1970. It's, just, it's so much parity in this league now. I see why teams are thinking, man, maybe we're one player away. Um, and if we're not one player away, are we one player away from – if we're not one player away from winning the Super Bowl, are we one player away from winning the division? Right. Right. Let's make a Super Bowl. move Let's for that. Let's make a move to win a division. Yes. right now it looks yes. like there are a lot of divisions, as you just pointed out, that are up for grabs. And if you it just accept, and I'm biased, and I know this, so I'm admitting this. Uh, I'm obviously prefacing this statement by admitting my bias. But if you ask me who won the trade deadline, and they gave up a lot, all right? Mm-hmm. San Fran gave up a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. We're talking about before the injuries hit the, 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 the 49ers. By the way, that's something else they got to deal with because in the last five years or so when I've been studying the 49ers because my wife is a huge 49ers fan and one of my best friends is the head coach, man, they deal with a ton of injuries. Mm-hmm. Disproportionately way more than the rest of the NFL. I don't know what the hell's going on there, but I digress. Right. Uh, my wife, I wouldn't tell him that to his face, yeah. but I digress. I, I texted to him. Actually. I was going to say, I, you will text <laughs> never to his face, him. but I just texted to him. Like, what the hell's going on? Uh, but anyway, uh, I'll say this, though. I know we're living in a world where the running back position has been devalued. I get that, all right? And even spending that much value for a running back in a Shanahan system is a bit you know, counterintuitive because because the beauty of that system is you don't need a high-priced, big-time running back. You can go get a guy fifth, sixth, seventh, undrafted free. Hell, their leading rusher, I believe, is an undrafted free. They just traded, by the way, yep. and Jeff Wilson to the Miami Dolphins. But I digress. I, I, I've sat down with my man, Shannon, had enough conversation with him about the game and, and football. And I've told you guys a lot of these. You know, I've told you guys about a lot of these conversations, and I've actually revealed them, a lot of my takes. The future of football, in my, in my opinion, is positionless football. It's, mm-hmm. it's just being able to have these hybrids, defensively and offensively, that can always manipulate matchups across the board. And Shannon has always believed in positionless football, and that's why I love Dan Quinn, right? He's big about positionless football on the defensive side. Um, but offensively, nobody's led the NFL uh, to try to be at the forefront of this theory and this ideology more than Shannon. Whether you're talking about the way he uses his fullback, Kyle Juszczyk, whether you're talking about the way he uses Kittle, of course, Debo Sam. 
Samuel is probably the most famous example, but also now bringing in Christian McCaffrey, positionless football guys that you bring in that can play three, four different positions across the board. And this is Shano's version of going all in. He's got the ultimate positionless football players, plural, with Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey. And I always said, if you want to separate yourself from the rest of the NFL, it's a very, very close league. Like, there's not a lot that separates the best team in the league from the worst team in the league. I know you think that is a big mm-hmm. separation, but it's actually not as much as you think, especially this year where you have a ton of parity. That's why you've haven't, you haven't had a lot of uh, true dynasties in the NFL, right? You win two Super Bowls in a row, and then you can't win three in a row like you win in the NBA before. And why can't you do that? Well, it's tough to have that much uh, long-term success in the NFL because it's a copycat league. If you do something well enough, teams are going to copy it, and you won't have that advantage for long. You're going to have that advantage for a season, maybe two, and then the rest of the league is like, you know what? We're going to do what he did. Right. Jimmy Johnson had the biggest offensive line in the history of the NFL when they were winning Super Bowls with the Cowboys. Probably could have run three or four in a row if not for the pride and ego of Jerry Jones, but I digress. But the rest of the league caught up with his 330, 340-pound <laughs> offensive lineman because everybody else wanted to copy yep. what he did. Mm-hmm. So his advantage didn't last very long. So what's going to be your advantage? How do you schematically, strategically, tactically separate yourself in this world of copycats? you got to do something nobody else does. Yep. All right. Remember when Philadelphia won the Super Bowl, what they do? They went for it on fourth down more than everybody else. They went for two-point conversions more than everybody else. They, they, went, they had more RPOs than everybody else at the time. you got to separate somehow. But then Everybody caught up with them. Now everybody goes for it on fourth down. Now everybody runs a lot of RPLs. Yep. Now everybody goes two-point conversion. So you got to separate. And the way Shannon's separating is positionless football. Not everybody's doing it right now. Only a few very smart people like uh, Dan Quinn, like my man Shannon, have committed to it. He's going to go all in with the philosophy. And hopefully it separates him from the rest of the NFL. Not for long, but long enough to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. Damn right. Yeah. That's why I think this is his all-in. To me, it's the best move. I think second, I'll go with TJ Hawkinson to man. That's that's to Minnesota. Huge. Yeah, I think that's second to me. But right now, I, I'm, I'm biased. I'll go Christian McCaffrey. Man, that's a difference maker. Hell, the guy already is thrown, like, man, rushed, and, and received a, a touchdown yeah. in the same game, and he's been with that team what less than two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We, what we do about say, to do. They, the, the Dolphins getting Bradley Chubb is a big move. It's a big no, move. A huge it's move. a big move yeah. for this team that needs some help on the defensive end and defensive identity and everything you see about Bradley Chubb is he is a great locker room leader and if he can help solidify this defense and get those guys to play up to the level they were playing the last few years great point if that can help and you can make that a complimentary team where that offense can go with what they've been able to do and that defense steps up that could put them a lot closer to being a Super Bowl contender you're right about that because you need somebody to to chase Josh Allen yep I mean that's Harge brought that up too you chase you're facing Josh Allen twice a year Bradley Chubb investment is not bad at all, especially when you're trying to make that move to get to the championship. You're gonna, it's gonna end up going through Buffalo. I mean, we yes. all understand that they are the best team in the. Well, I'm sure Kansas City has something to say about that. But right now but, they go, you know, they got to go through Buffalo. In my go, opinion, because they beat them already. Yeah, they I'm beat them already. Yeah. So it's it's going to be a run. But the best thing you can do is get pressure on the quarterback, and Bradley Chubb is that guy. Yep. Uh, in, in you know recent years, maybe the last twenty years, I know they're outliers, but for the most part, there are two ways to win the Super Bowl. You do it with elite quarterback play, or you do it with elite pass rush. Mm-hmm. And I think for the like I guess the Cowboys are probably closer to being the latter than being the former. Um, but I like what that's why I like what Philly did. Robert yep. Quinn. I still go back to that you know original trade early on two weeks ago. Robert Quinn to Philadelphia. Now you're talking about a, a guy that had 18 sacks last year. Right. 
I know he only had one this year, but that's a premier pass rusher at a premium position. And now you add him to an already undefeated Philadelphia Eagles team. Remember, he was getting double teamed, too. Yes, he was. He was getting double teamed at a higher rate than Nick Bosa or Michael Parsons. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's a that's a big yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you talk about Michael Parsons and we just talked about what did, what did Calvin call I mean not Calvin, uh Clarence call him. He called him a cheat code. Cheat code. Yeah, man. when when he can get like that and get that kind of pressure still and still get around those double teams, that's what Robert Quinn is. And don't forget he was a cowboy at one point. Ah, uh, yeah, he was. Which yeah. is he's gonna love playing against the Cowboys too. Yeah. Um uh, <laughs> and that's yeah. I'll throw you in that with that Bradley Chubb. They Dolphins are in the bottom third of the league in sacks right now. Yeah. They have 15 sacks so far this season. So definitely a need that this team had was pressuring the quarterback. Yep. And so addressing a need, you got to give up more picks. But they have no problem giving up picks because right. Bill O'Brien gave them some. Shanahan gave them some. And they just get all their picks, and they're sending back out for players this year. Yeah. That's smooth, And, and then too. I think it was you, Patrick, that told me about that that uh, Laramie Tunsil pick, the first-round picks that the Miami Dolphins got. So Laramie Tunsil, they get the picks. They turn that into Trey Lance, which, which okay. Trey Lance gets turned into Jalen Waddle, right, Tyreek yes. Hill, yes. and now <laughs> Bradley Chubb. So that's one of the two first-round picks you got yeah. for Laramie Tunsil. You turned into yeah. Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill. And Bradley Chubb. Love uh, that is uh, not bad. That's about value. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's trying to make sure you. They're going to build ma- a statue of Bill O'Brien outside <laughs> that stadium. Oh, uh, what, what would the NFL be without Bill O'Brien right now? It'd be a totally different place. You consider the other Hopkins I know the yeah. Texans would be in it. <laughs> they would be part of it. They'd be trying to make a move to try to get oh. a, a, a contender. Oh my God! I mean, guys, don't forget. At one point, the Texans are up 24 points in the playoffs. Yeah, on the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh yeah, on, a, on a, the road. Hey, on the road. On the road. I picked the Texas to win that game, and I felt like moment. a genius. I know. Oh, no. yeah. I felt like a genius. I was like, oh, my God. It's the greatest pick I've ever made in my life. Like, <laughs> I'm in. Oh, dude. That, yeah. and it, and it took a quarter for them to take the lead on the day. It took the whole – the second quarter is basically all they took. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember watching a Chiefs – before that, of how bad the Chiefs used to destroy us in the playoffs – I remember being at a watch party with you at a different station. Oh, and yes. we, like, first quarter, we're, giving, we're like, give away all the prizes. Like, no one's staying. <laughs> <laughs> like, Travis Kelsey's got his 17th touchdown. We're eight minutes in the game. Yeah. Uh, that was before uh, it was before Deshaun Watson, I think, too, huh? It was. It was shop. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, was shop. job yeah. days. Uh, and, okay, you know what? No, this is not a, a, a pity party for the Texans. So let's keep it moving. Uh, <laughs> I like this texture here, though. Texture says, when Kadarius Tony lighting up everyone, I don't want to hear it. It's too late now. Texter, I've, I'm already hitting you. I did some research on Kadarius Tony, Tony, Tony. They already given him a little nickname there oh, in yeah. Kansas City. All right, so Tony, Tony, Tony has done it again. Uh, how about that? So he got him for a conditionals third and a six-round pick. But what I like about him is that you start looking at it they can use him. I know Andy Reid wants to. He wants to use wide receivers like he did Tyreek Hill in their running game. Uh, San Francisco does it better than anybody, mostly because of Debo Samuel. But if you look at wide receiver rushing attempts, San Fran leads the NFL and led the NFL last year. Pittsburgh was second, but Kansas City was third. Yeah. And Kansas City actually likes to use their wide receivers in the running game. Kadarius Tony has that kind of skill set, and I think he wants to use him in some similar ways where he used Tyreek Hill in the running game. Also. Kadaris Tony deep passes downfield, 20-plus yard passes downfield in 2021. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are one of the best in the NFL. Deep passes downfield made perfect sense because they had Tyreek Hill there. Um, but lately, uh, this season in 2022, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs have not been great. They only have nine 
deep completions. That's 20-plus yards downfield, only nine of those. Um, Kadaris Tony. He, he has that type of big play over-the-top explosivity. Like so it. he can stretch the field, also can help them in their running game because they want to diversify the running game with wide receiver rushing attempts, which Andy Reid likes too. So I do think Kadarius Tony's going to help them out a lot. I mean, that's it goes without saying, in that offense, I mean, with, with, with Patrick Mahomes and the ultimate play caller and play designer in Andy Reid, if you're a wide receiver, it's got to be a, a utopia. I mean, it's got to be an ideal situation for you. Yeah. And and when I look at Kadarius Tony and what he brings, it's uh, one of those situations where if you are trying to stretch the field, you're not going to ever replace Tyreek Hill. No, no, no. You're never going to replace that. But when you got a guy like Patrick Mahomes that has somebody, because Markel Hardman is just as fast. I mean, he is. He's just as fast, but, but I don't think physical. he's go- right. Tyreek Hill is a physical he was and a, also and he t- would and he could jump too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah that, he would go up point. there and make some plays. Yeah. So I think that is where Andy Reid is going. Like you talk about Shannon, he's going excellent. <laughs> I got something else to stretch the field because now it's going to open up Travis Kelsey even more. Yeah. Juju's been good for Juju's been consistent right now. Man, what's the other? I keep forgetting. They got so many kind of almost B-list. Yeah, B-list receivers. But they're great, though. B-listers. Right? It's like A-list. We got rid of our A-list wide receiver, which was Tyreek Hill. He's never been on the red carpet. Exactly. I feel like that. But they're all good players. They're just kind of B-list players there. Okay, real quick. Cowboys did try to make a move reportedly based on Ed Reuter's tweet. He says, two sources directly involved say the Cowboys and Texans discussed a potential trade involving Brandon Cooks until the final minutes before the NFL trade deadline expired. Uh, draft pick compensation and apparently the $18 million guaranteed salary for Cooks in 2023 could not be resolved. I told you guys uh, yep. last week that that extension that Brandon Cooks signed, but really that Nick Casario offered to Brandon Cooks in the offseason was going to be a problem and looks like it's turned out to be a problem. It's made him tougher to move because that means the Texans either need to pay the majority of that guaranteed salary, mm-hmm. $18 million, or they need to find a, I don't know, a, 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 really a team that's not very savvy that would be willing to take on at $18 million, and I don't think they were able to find that. And Jerry Jones is not, you know, he's a savvy deal maker. Yeah, and he yeah. did not let them get, get over on him and force him to pay all that money. Sure wish he would have been making that deal, though. Yeah, I know. Find a way. But I know that, that that's more Casario. That's Casario yeah. and not Jerry Jones. That's an unreasonable yeah. amount. Listen, you just let Amari Cooper go because you don't want to pay him $20 million a year. You got a fifth-round pick in exchange. As you pointed out, Harge, there's no way the optics of that – would look would would favor would, would would basically favor the Cowboys. They'd look really bad if they paid eighteen million for for a twenty nine year old Brandon Cooks, yeah. and you don't want to pay twenty million for whatever. How old? I think I think honestly I think Mark Cooper's like twenty five, twenty six, something like that. Yeah, he was. So he's, a, yeah. he's a young player. He's like twenty six, twenty seven. He's younger than you think he is. Yeah. So I'm Jerry, Jerry being Jerry, bro. Jerry being Jerry, Jerry being Jerry. Yeah. Um, so there you go. That makes uh, me sad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you shouldn't be sad, man. The Cowboys are in that thing. What are you talking about? Being I sad? do like the oh, fact uh, that they in that thing, but yeah. I don't know if they at that thing. They in there like swimwear. That's right. Uh, Mari Cooper is 28. Sorry about that. He's 28 yeah. years old. Okay, uh, let's come back. We come back. We'll get into uh, the players only meeting. Another one for the Longhorns in their bye week. And I'll tell you about the biggest issue. All right, the biggest issue that needs to be addressed or should have been addressed in the bye week for the Texas defense. If they don't address this issue, they will lose to K-State, I assure you. We'll talk about that on the other side right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn. I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite. 
and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Bro, oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's Rant of the Day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Rod's Rant of the Day. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, not yet, anyway. Um, even though some people love to drink the Kool-Aid and sip the Kool-Aid, I'm not sipping it yet. You got to beat K-State for me to sip on that Kool-Aid. Then maybe I'll take it to the head. Uh, right now. Turn up! Yeah, I'll turn up the Kool-Aid yeah. if they beat K-State. Um, but to beat K-State, that's one thing they got to take care of. So um, I, I said after the UTSA game, and people don't like when I say this, but this is my job, so I, I, I like to do my job. Uh, I'm a deconstructionist by nature. I, I can't help but look at football and deconstruct it. doesn't matter who the team is, who I'm rooting for. I watch the game. I deconstruct it as a football theorist. Some people don't like that. Sorry, because oftentimes I'm watching Texas football, and I have to deconstruct it. What's wrong? What happened? You know, the ifs, buts, the, the reason why, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so some people don't like the fact that um, I, can, I watch the Texas film, and then I tell you exactly what I see, how I would attack Texas. Trust me, people, the coaches who play Texas, they're not listening to Rod B. <laughs> I assure you. Uh, they could. It probably would give them some type of insight, but insight, they don't. Insight, that's right. Yeah, it, they, they don't. They got better things to do. Um, but when I watch Texas, I can't help but to kind of deconstruct what the weaknesses are and what they're dealing with. And even after the UTSA game, I came on these airwaves. I went on Longhorn Blitz and I said, you want to beat Texas defensively uh, inside breaking routes. Just they can they they give up inside leverage very easy. I don't know if it's something they're taught technique wise. I'm not sure if it's something that's just um, a vulnerability um, with the technique that they're being taught, uh, like a foundational flaw. I'm not sure it is, but it's pretty obvious that when you play against Texas, that if you can just get the inside leverage, uh, you can run pretty much any inside breaking vertical route where you're talking about a slant glance post in route in route should say five yards up and then you you got a not at a 90 degree degree angle you break inside so you break right across so i started charting these, these routes because you know i figured man i'm starting to notice them more and more the deeper t- texas gets in the big 12 play i'm starting to see more teams who noticed what i noticed even against utsa and against Alabama, you can attack Texas. You just got to get you got to get inside inside leverage because they're going to give it to you. And once you can attack that inside leverage for Texas, that's the sweet spot, the honey spot, if you will. It's the second level of the defense, basically at linebacker depth. Anything between zero and nineteen yards in between the numbers, that is where Texas is weakest in their pass defense. So I went back in the last two weeks and started charting slant routes, glance routes. Post routes. Essentially, conceptually, those are all the same route. They're just at deeper depths. There's there are different types of slants. There's a quick slant, there's a regular slant, and then there's a, a deeper slant. There's also an angle route where instead of going, you know, five yards and to a forty-five degree angle, uh, ends up being like a ninety degree angle, but you go you break outside first and then come back inside at an angle to the slant. Glance route is a a route attachment, essentially a slant with an RPO, a run-pass option. They call them glances. Essentially, it's just a tag route to uh, an RPO. Um, but the rest of the obviously, the rest of the ten guys are running uh, uh, nine, I should say, because the quarterbacks uh, obviously running the RPO. They're involved in the run action, but that tagged route is the what they call a glance. And then there's post routes, which is a deeper version of that 
in uh, inside vertical braking movement route. Essentially, a slant and a post look very similar, so a post is deeper. You, anytime you pass up that five, that five to seven to eight yard range, you're, you're running more of a post than you are a slant route. All right, getting more vertical. So I went and looked at Oklahoma State. So I figured, man, Oklahoma State ran a lot of those types of routes versus uh, Texas. And I looked at the slant routes. So Oklahoma State, when they ran the slant route versus Texas, um, they, they were 7 of 9 uh, when they ran the slant route. So they completed 77% of their passes when they ran the slant route. They didn't run any glances, uh, which is the RPO attachment. Uh, and the reason they didn't, I think, is because their run game wasn't working. <laughs> their run game was null and void. Essentially, their uh, high percentage short passing game, the quick game, uh, running back swings, uh, wide receiver screens, and the slant became their extension of the running game, the quick game. Uh, but he was 7-9, so seven, almost a 78% completion percentage when he threw slants, Spencer Sanders. And what did I say going into that game? Be inside leverage, bump and run, take away the quick game, take away the inside breaking rights, pack the middle, force him to throw it outside the numbers, intermediate or deep over the top, and um, Texas didn't either. They gave him the inside, and he took it. And uh, that was a lot of the big plays that Texas allowed, including that 41-yard touchdown at the end of the game, double slant. All right? Just that easy. Uh Post routes, I'll give uh, my man Jameson credit. Uh, my man Jameson has a PBU on the post route in Oklahoma State game. Then I went to the Iowa State game. looked at slants. By the way, I did this for all the games, but I won't. I'll spare you. I'll just only go to the last two weeks and uh, what the analysis was there. Slant routes for Iowa State, they were two of two. Hit slant routes. Boom, boom. Glances, RPO attachment, they were two of two. One was a touchdown. That was that big, long touchdown to Noel. Uh, and they also got a first down. So the slants they threw, they were in two of two for 28 yards, got, got two first downs. The glances, they were two of two. One's a touchdown, one was a first down. And they also ran a lot of post routes. They ran four post routes, completed three of them. So if you just look at, and I, like I said, I, I didn't include in routes, but in routes, just like I said, it's just five yards and, and just darting in at a 90-degree angle. Oklahoma State, Texas allowed them to complete two of three in routes for 56 yards. Uh, Iowa State uh, was one of one on in route. So if you're talking about in, in routes, are atta- essentially t- attacking the same thing, and that's why teams use what they call angle routes too, either with their running backs or with their wide receivers out of bunch formations, which is essentially attacking the same area, vertical movement routes that 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 are in breaking upfield. And in the last two weeks, like I said teams are figuring it out. It's taking them a little bit longer than it took me, but I told you guys after the UTSA game, you want to beat Texas, you do it with bunch formations. And what did Iowa State do? Bunch formations. Told you guys that after UTSA, you got to run bunch formations against Texas. You, they, they can't read and react. They want to reroute. They can't read and react very well to those route progressions. Uh, Iowa State was four of six on third and nine plus yards to go. Um, and all four of them, they used bunch formations. They threw to the bunch formations on three of those third and nine-plus yards to gain conversions, and they threw to the opposite single receiver side on another one. But they figured out what's obvious in the film. Texas has a really tough time reading and reacting and being able to uh, judge the route progressions and route combinations out of bunch formations. And also, and by the way, uh, Oklahoma State used something similar. They just used stacked wide receivers, but the same principle. But also, Texas can't 
they for some reason they don't have much integrity when it comes to inside leverage. So in the last two weeks, you want to look at the numbers. Texas has allowed a completion percentage on on slants, glances, and slants, glances, and post, post routes. All right. So on slants, glances, and post routes, Texas has allowed a completion percentage of seventy seven percent. I round down, by the way, because I love my Longhorns. Seventy seven percent. 66% of the attempts, not completions, attempts. So just throw a slant, throw a glance, throw a post. 66% of the time, I round down, results in a first down or a touchdown. You ain't got to complete it. Just throw it. That's how successful it's been the last two weeks. Don't complete it. Just throw it. Just the attempt has a 60%. 66% chance to be a first down or a touchdown. If you're looking for explosive plays, which you're not supposed to get when you're throwing a slant or a glance route or, you know, some, and a post route, depending on how deep it is, you can get a deeper, you can get more of explosive plays there. But slants and glance, most of those are designed to be quick hitting and, yeah, tackled within 10, Yeah, I was going to say, short, 11, quick yardage. Yeah, yeah, right, if you're on the guy. Yeah. Uh, when Texas has defended the slants, <clears throat> glances, and posts, uh, in the last two weeks, there's a 44% chance that the target, all right, of a slant, a glance, or a post will result in a 15-plus short play. So nearly 50% chance of just throwing a slant, a glance, or a post results in a 15-plus short play. If Texas does not fix this, they will lose to K-State, and they will lose badly because it's a simple, simple fix. Get inside. Inside leverage. This is not necessarily all on the linebackers. Either. I know linebackers are struggling with their, and I've talked about that, with their depths and their drops right. to the second level. Right. That goes without saying. This is not necessarily that. Yes, that, that could help Texas. But this, is the, this should be more on the DBs. Get inside leverage. They're hitting you with the, the slants and the posts and the, on the glances from the slot and also from the outside. And oftentimes Texas is just out of position. And they have way too much outside leverage. Get inside. Will it leave you vulnerable elsewhere? Yes, it will. But if Texas, even when I played zone coverage a lot of times, Texas, I remember playing zone coverage with inside leverage. So to take away the quick game and the three-step yes. drop. And, th- and, and think of this is why the Spencer Sanders game is so disappointing. After I've watched it for like the fifth time. He can only throw like three routes. Wide receiver screen. Mm-hmm. Slant. All right, and he threw the, uh, the, the swing pass to the running backs. By the second half, that was all he was throwing, guys. That was it. That was it. If he wasn't taking off running. But that's why that was the running game, Yeah, Marge. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why they threw it 60% of the time on first down yep. because they realized we can't run the ball. Our best running game is Spencer Sanders scrambling. So they were throwing the ball on first down 60% of the time. Mm-hmm. And he was only throwing, like I said, three or four routes. He was throwing the in route, the slant route, the swing route, the wide receiver screen. That was it. Because he couldn't throw outside the numbers. And, and, and for Texas, it's like, well, TCU showed you the way. K-State just showed you. Yeah, we, they picked up where TCU left off. And the only team that couldn't execute that game plan against mm-hmm. a hurt hobble special status was Texas. <laughs> what the? K-State, they shut him out with it. They were like, dude, we can't even. Basically, Mike Gundy admitted, man, once they figured out that he couldn't throw outside the numbers right. in deep, we couldn't do a damn thing. And our running game has never, he hadn't worked all year long. It ha- yeah. We couldn't do anything. And it wasn't him running. And, and, and yeah, exactly. he couldn't run. Yeah. And like, TCU showed it. I wonder sometimes they're watching the same film as I'm watching. TCU showed you that. I said, oh, we go. Pack the middle. Inside leverage. Don't let them get the quick game. Play bump and run. Force them intermediate outside the numbers or deep. If you do that, I guarantee 
he'll get frustrated and yep. he'll throw you some. They never did it. They let him have his way. The slant route. Yep. Seven of nine. Guys, in the fourth quarter, I want to say he was perfect on slant routes. I want to say he was six of six. Oh, I was going to say, he was. He they was. couldn't stop him. Yeah. And I was just. And they were big slant routes. Oh, they were huge. Timely. Yep. Yeah. No doubt. So they go. They don't fix that. They'll lose. Oh, my gosh. It's just that simple. I hope they're listening. All right. I hope they're listening. No, they listen. Because we need, we need to win this game. I yeah. said we. That's right. I said we this time mm-hmm. because there's big plans if this thing goes right. Yeah. I need this to go right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I just think it's. Uh, I need you to drink some of that Kool Aid if they beat them no. this weekend. Ty dropped off a Kool Aid packet in here and I was like, <laughs> Ty ain't watching the same film I'm watching. It's all good. <laughs> Ty watched the games one time like most Oakland fans. I've watched it five times. And the more I watch, the more upset I get. And I come on here and I start screaming and you're like, why do I be so upset? I've watched that monstrosity five times. And I wrote, the more I watch it, I realize Texas should have won that game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Texas did. Oklahoma State didn't win that game. Texas yeah. lost that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. more I watch these games, I realize these other teams ain't beating Texas. Texas is losing They're these games. They're losing. That's, ah. Uh, Oh, uh-huh. that's and, it. And that's why I can't they're drink. They're not getting beat. They're losing. Can't drink that crap. Yep, they're not getting beat. I won't, they're losing. I won't drink that Kool-Aid. No, 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 not yet. No, 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 no. That's yep. flavor eight. <laughs> get the real stuff. <laughs> we'll come back. We'll get into uh, Astros uh, Phillies World Series preview. On the side right here on Bottom Line, wonderful night. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. I was singing this song in the break. So I mean, I it's know a pretty the song. famous song. I, I know the song. I just don't know how to sing it. Yeah. Oh. It's not like Dolly Parton or anything. Dolly Parton's on this. Okay. And Kenny right. Rogers. Oh, I definitely should have known that. Yeah, Island's in the stream. I like the gambler. All right. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's why I know, I know the chorus. Yeah, I got it. I got it. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. I got it. All right. That's a good jam. Nice. Uh, my man Patrick, doing a great job. Uh, top of the charts Tuesday, jam to reach the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. Speaking of this day in history, let's talk about the Astros. Go Strolls! Uh, because hopefully we're talking about a win on this day in history for the Astros. Game three of the World Series, Patrick. And my man Harge, uh, he had to jet out a little bit early. Um, but he was he had alerted us to this story, and it's a great story about Jeremy Pena. And let me give my man Harge a ton of credit. I always black about being black Stradamus. But uh, my man Harge told us in the offseason, we were talking about Carlos Correa leaving and how disappointing it was and how concerning it was for Astros fans to be losing such a great player. I remember him telling both of us, Patrick, don't worry about it. Pena, he's going to make you forget about Carlos Correa. And I remember saying, man, that's a bold statement, yeah. man. That's a bold statement. I, I think my man Harge was on the money. He knows his hardball. <laughs> he knows his hardball. Yeah, that was. Uh, I remember we had on. Uh, we, I mean, we've had on guests that were like, "How did you know?" Yeah, I I, I don't know how he knew he's going to be this good. Jeremy Payne, by the way, wins a Gold Glove. He's the first rookie uh, shortstop to win the Gold Glove. Um, that's crazy. I, I that's a unbelievable uh story for um 
really for Jeremy Pena and what he's accomplished so far. He's been great in the playoffs, uh, but once again, um, Jeremy Pena just showing that uh, he – what a great find for the Astros, and Astros continue uh, to show what an impressive scouting department they have, kind of finding a diamond in the rough with Golden Glove winner Jeremy Pena now. Yeah, and we got to see all those awkward interviews with Carlos Correa. That's great. <laughs> when they were doing when they had him uh, – being the guest during the ALCS and Jeremy Pena is winning the MVP and everything else. And he's like, oh, I guess uh, <laughs> guess you guys moved on. Wasn't Carlos Correa up for it too? For, it? The, uh, golden, uh, for the Golden Glove, yes. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, that's just I think it's more of a, a compliment to the Astros, really. Uh, but, yeah, first rookie shortstop to win a Golden Glove. That, does, that, seem, that doesn't seem like that's a – that should have happened before. I don't know. Shortstop's just a hard position. Okay. And so I figure, like, normally you figure there's guys who win gold gloves for many years at shortstop. You don't necessarily have an opening that's yeah to get in there. I mean, how many did Derek Jeter win, and he statistically wasn't that great of a fielder? <laughs> hey, man, he he's at the popularity contest at times, too. Exactly. Uh, um, uh, here is Carlos Correa's quote on Jeremy Pena. He said, I'm so happy for him from the moment I saw him taking ground balls in spring training. I knew he was going to win a gold glove at some point. To do it first year in the big leagues is truly remarkable and special. Yeah, that is, that is crazy. Uh, let me ask you this, Patrick. Uh, Lance McCullers on the mound. We did get, and uh, my man Harge did say that Philly was going to use this opportunity probably to change up their rotation. They did that. Uh, Suarez is going to start game three for Philly. McCullough's still going for H-Town. How do you feel about that matchup? Uh, I mean, I think the matchup's fine. The, the whole thing with Syndergaard was that he's he can't pitch long into games right now. He's on a pretty yeah. small pitch count, so it's going to be a bullpen game, and we know the Astros have picked apart bullpens. So the whole thing is trying to get at Suarez early because you want to get to that bullpen because that's what the Astros' strength has been. And as far as McCullers goes, so far, if you want to look at the Verlander stats of how they are when Verlander starts, in the playoffs, I believe McCullers is 4-0 when he starts a game for the – not him being 4-0, but the Astros are 4-0 when McCullers starts a game. Yeah, um, and, yeah, I think they're hoping uh, they get McCullers uh, with his best stuff tonight. And I do wonder if the, the delay – um, will have any type of effect on the Astros. Uh, I love that Jose Altuve is back and ever since his uh, 0 for performance where he ended up unfortunately setting a record. Uh, he's actually been really good for the Astros too. So if the Astros can continue you know, hitting the baseball with some consistency, I think Jose Altuve is like 6-13 now since his... Yeah, he went 3-4 for four in that last game, yeah. which was big. And the, big and the seven hole for the Astros, which has just been a void of anything... Uh, where they put Diaz out there and they put Mancini in there. Hinsley getting the start at DH and the nice. seventh hole tonight. So trying something different in the World Series just to say, man, can we get some production out of this? Because every other place is getting some production. I agree with that. And that seven hole has just not been able to do it. So yeah. it would be nice if you get it, be able to get the young man Hensley in there to get some hits. Hopefully Astros get a fast start, too. Had a great start in game two. Well, they had a three doubles to start off the, yeah. the game. That's what kind of start they need and keep a lot of momentum and at least take that crowd out of it early, too. All right, uh, so we'll come back. We'll get into last hour of the show. we got to talk Texas players only meeting. We haven't addressed it yet. We'll get into that preview, Texas versus K-State on the other side. Also, in the 6 o'clock, we'll talk some NBA. Glad we got my man Patrick because he is an NBA fiend, also a Spurs fan. we got to talk about the Josh Primo situation. We have not discussed Steve Nash fired by the Nets. we got to talk about that. We'll get into all of that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.